Hi, thank you for joining us for today's message from Calvary. We are launching a new series leading up to Easter called The Journey to Easter. And today's message focuses on the Last Supper. The scripture we are studying today is from Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. You can download the Life Notes from our website now at calvaryaz.com forward slash Life Notes. Now, here is Pastor Pete Bunnell. All right, you may have a seat. It is great to be with you today as we get to kick off a new sermon series, The Journey to Easter. Easter's only a few weeks away, and we're going to take some time walking through the scripture that uh, brings us to the great Easter story. I um, want to encourage you, if you're in the room, to grab a Bible or your Bible app and open to Luke 22. To our folks in Parker, glad that you're joining us today, and want to encourage you, if you need a Bible, there's Bibles at the back of the room. You can go back grab one of those Bibles. And as always, if you need a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take those Bibles home. If you're using the Bibles that are here in the room, it's page 1048. 1048 is where you'll find Luke 22. And while you're looking there, let me just ask kind of a, I guess it's kind of a silly question. Who's been to a going away party before? Okay, yeah, it's pretty common, right? Somebody retires, you throw a going away party. Somebody graduates high school, is going off to college, you throw a going away party. It's pretty common to go to these kind of parties. And they're fun, right? Because there's toasts and there's well wishes. Um, a lot of times there's some parting words that are shared, right? Some parting words that kind of like set direction for the future. That's what makes those words that are shared at a going away party so important and so memorable because they're kind of setting a direction for the future. Well, today in our passage, we're looking at a going away party of sorts. And when we have those going away parties, it's often that we take a picture, right? I know when I've had going away parties, there's a picture of everyone who was there all together. Uh, we have a picture for the going away party that uh, went on the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. Now, um, I think we're gonna put it up on the screen. There it is. It's pretty well known, right? Da Vinci is the one that painted that picture. Um, but you know, it's not super accurate. You know, he wasn't there. You know, he's old, but he's not that old. Um, da Vinci wasn't around. So what do you think maybe this Passover meal was really like? What was this Last Supper really like? Well, first of all, we need to know that it's the Passover meal, right? So they were remembering God's salvation that he worked to free the Israelites out of Egypt. You see, God had sent plague after plague upon the Egyptians, trying to get them to let the people go. And they always hardened their heart. Pharaoh always hardened his heart. And eventually the plague of the angel of death had to come upon Egypt. But God had a way to save his people in the midst of that plague. He told them to sacrifice a lamb, to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their house, and then when the angel of death came, it would pass over that house when they saw the blood of the lamb. So the Israelites did that. They obeyed God. They sacrificed the lamb. They put the blood on the doorpost of their house. And then they ate a meal. They ate the roasted lamb. They ate unleavened bread. And they ate it standing up, ready to travel. Because God had told them, this is going to be the thing that gets you free. Now, the Egyptians did not. They did not follow uh, God's 
command. They did not sacrifice a lamb. They did not put blood on their doorposts. They didn't believe in God. And the angel of death did visit them. The firstborn of every household in Egypt was killed. And the Egyptians finally relented and let God's people go. And so for year after year, the Jewish people were supposed to celebrate this Passover. They were supposed to remember what God had done um, on that first Passover. And that's what's pictured here. This is the Passover meal. And Jesus had uh, tasked two of his disciples to get the meal ready. And so these two disciples would have taken a lamb to the temple. They would have sacrificed the lamb there. They would have brought the meat back, prepared the meat. They would have prepared the other parts of the meal. Jesus had told them exactly how to find the room where they would meet. So when the disciple, the two disciples had everything set up just the way it was supposed to do, Jesus arrived in the upper room with his entourage. But then Jesus did the unthinkable. Like a servant, he took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist and he began to wash the day of filth and dirt of traveling the Jerusalem roadsides off of his disciples' feet. He modeled that servant leadership for his followers. And then they reclined at the table. So the picture is a little bit wrong because they're sitting at the table, aren't they? But in the first meal, the first Passover in Egypt, they stood to eat. After that, they reclined to eat the Passover because they were saying, they were showing God had set them free. They now had rest. So Jesus reclined at the table with his disciples and uh, they probably also were wearing all white according to historians or light colored clothes. They weren't dressed in all these bright colors that you see in the painting. And so at this Passover meal, Jesus shared some last words. And in this, he redefines the Passover for us. So let's read in Luke 22, looking at verse, starting in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So in this passage, Jesus redefines the Passover and he makes it something that is uniquely about him. And he does that by revealing three different things. First, Jesus reveals the future. Jesus reveals the future. He says right there, he's going to suffer. Now this of course is pointing to the cross, right? This is what uh, Jesus knew was going to happen but he didn't want his friends to be surprised. He wanted his friends to be prepared and to be ready. 
So this meal that they were eating together was a celebration that was looking back to that first Passover, to the blood of many lambs that were slain to save Israel. But it was also now becoming a meal that was looking forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus, who would give his blood for those who would trust in him. So he's redefining this meal. And Jesus not only discussed his future suffering, but he also mentions a future meal, right? He says he's going to eat this again, but not until the kingdom of God is fulfilled. He's going to never drink this wine until the kingdom of God comes again. So Jesus is pointing to a fact. He's going to conquer sin. He's going to conquer destruction and sickness and disease and all the evil in the world. And when he comes again, he will eat this meal again with his followers. This is what's pointed to in Revelation 19, verse 9, when John writes this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. So that marriage supper of the lamb is this meal coming back to be eaten with Jesus, declaring his victory over sin and death. So this brings up a question for us in the room. And I think it's a valid question. Uh, are you trusting in the real Jesus? I mean, is your faith in Jesus complete? You know, a complete understanding of what the Bible teaches about Jesus can be found in uh, Calvary's statement of belief. It's statement number three. Let me read it to you. It says, Jesus Christ came in the flesh, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay for our sins, was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's a complete picture of who Jesus is, of what Jesus did. Now, when we come to Jesus for the first time, we probably don't grasp all of that. Let's just be honest. We're just like, okay, well, Jesus died for me. I'm gonna believe in him. But there's more, and we can never get to a point where we deny any point of these truths that I just read. See, are you, are you trusting that Jesus suffered for you? That only his sacrifice is sufficient? Here's good news. You do not have to suffer for your salvation. Jesus did it for you. Good news, you don't have to work for your salvation. Jesus did all the work. It's impossible in our own strength. So the very first thing we must believe is believe that he suffered for us. But there's more to believing in Jesus. We need to also trust that he rose again victorious. Look, if all that Jesus did was die for us, 2,000 years ago and didn't come back to life, there is not much reason for us to be here today. There is not much reason for us to believe in him, to trust in him. But the truth is, is that he did rise again. He came back to life. He conquered death. And because he conquered death, he has the ability to make us new creations, to make us a new person. Isabella, who just got baptized today, had a shirt on that said, a new creation. That is declaring the fact that Jesus rose again and he makes us new when we trust in him. Do you daily live remembering that you can actively turn from your old way of life? You can turn away from your addiction to sin. You can turn away from selfish choices. And that's all because Jesus rose again and he has victory over sin. Next, are you trusting that Jesus ascended to heaven? So Jesus rose from the dead 
over 500 witnesses saw him alive and then his disciples saw him ascend into heaven. So this is where Jesus is today. And do you know what the Bible promises he's doing? He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's always there pointing to the fact that he is the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And he's praying that we will walk the life that he has given us in obedience to him. Do you daily remember that Jesus is praying for you? That's something I easily forget. Jesus is praying for us every day. We're never walking alone. And then does your faith in Jesus picture the fact that he is coming again? When he ascended to heaven, it came with the promise that he would return and he would come back and he would take his followers to be with him. And today's passage in Luke, what we just read, points to that. The kingdom of God will be fulfilled and then Jesus will eat this meal again with us. We will celebrate the completion of God's kingdom with Jesus, with the wine and the bread. So that's the first thing that Jesus does in this last supper. Next, he reveals a new celebration. Jesus reveals a new celebration. You see this in verses 19 and 20. Jesus gives new meaning to some of the elements of the Passover meal. Now in America, modern day America, we don't eat a lot of foods that have a lot of significant meaning. Like I was trying to think of, when do we eat something that we're like, oh, this food means this. I, I can't think of it. Maybe turkeys and pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. You know, I mean, that's uniquely American food. Uh, so maybe that, but, but this is more than that because the original Passover meal had lots of special meanings, right? They had unleavened bread. They had the wine. They had bitter herbs that they ate. And of course, they had the sacrificial lamb that they ate. All of this pointed to something much bigger than the food itself. And Jesus, what he does is he redefines some of these to point to himself and the salvation that he would work for us. So what is the purpose of the bread and the wine? Well, the first purpose is so that we will remember him. So we will remember him. Listen to verse 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you have bread. I mean, bread, especially in that time, would be a source of life, a source of joy, a source of nourishment would have been a staple in the diet, you know? And um, even today, I mean, when I smell homemade fresh baked bread, I'm joyous. That's good smell, you know? I'm excited when there's fresh bread being baked. Spiritually, Jesus' body becomes that bread for us. His body is the source of eternal life. It's the source of eternal joy. And it's the source of spiritual nourishment. So the bread represents Jesus' broken body. And he says to eat it in order to remember him. We're going to take communion at the end of the service today. And we're going to give you two little cups, right? If you've been here before, you've seen it, you've done it. And that hard little cracker barely represents bread, in my opinion. Okay? But, but that little tiny morsel represents the largest gift that was ever given on our behalf. 
when we celebrate the Lord's table, we do it at Calvary about once a month. So that means 12 times a year, we are coming to this table to remember Christ's sacrifice. If you think about it, it's almost about 25% of the time that we gather together as a church, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we do that because Jesus told us to right here. It says, do this in remembrance of me. We're expected to do this. You know, I wanted to say a quick word to our online community. I am so glad you're here. And you might feel left out when it comes to communion time because we can't like transport that cracker through the uh, fiber optics there. But what I wanna encourage you is to take time to prepare some bread and some juice so you can partake in this because it's commanded. It's commanded that we do this to remember what Jesus did. Now, if you remember back in the COVID days where we weren't coming together, right? And we couldn't do communion together like this. Um, we were doing communion online. I was at home and I had my nine-year-old son prepare communion for us. So we had some crusty Wonder Bread and some Gatorade. That's what we used. So online community, whatever you have so that you can remember Jesus' body broken and his blood poured out, let me encourage you to get that ready so you can partake in that with us. So when we remember what Jesus did through his broken body, what are we remembering? We're remembering the words of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him, we could become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus become sin for us on that cross so that we could get Christ's righteousness. That's what we remember when we take that bread. The other reason that we have this memorial meal is so that we will relate to him. So we will relate to him. We're gonna remember him and we're going to relate to him. Luke 22, 20 says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So you have that word covenant there. A covenant is a way of relating to another person. When you enter into a covenant, it is a promise that you're gonna treat somebody in a certain way. It defines the relationship. So the Passover was the old covenant. The Passover was showing the old way that God related to people, saving them out of Egypt through the blood of a lamb. The old covenant was filled with ritual and with animal sacrifice. And that animal sacrifice temporarily allowed God to forgive sin. And you see it as you read through the Bible. If you're reading through the Bible in a year, you've read through Exodus and you've read through parts of Leviticus and things like that. And you're hearing about all these sacrifices and all this blood. Listen to what this commentator wrote about Exodus. He said, from Exodus, we understand that everything of significance was doused with blood. Half of the altar, half of the people and the scroll, the altar, the people and the book dripped with blood. It was not a pretty sight, except in its supreme symbolism. The old covenant was launched on a sea of blood for two reasons. First, it emphasizes the seriousness of sin. And second, it teaches that the payment for sin is death. That's what Jesus' blood teaches us too. Except his blood was infinitely more valuable than all the animals of, in the world. Jesus is allowing us to relate to him through his blood not through the blood of animals, 
through his own precious blood. And that is why we sing the song that we just finished, where we sing the words, and there at the cross, you paid the debt I owe. You broke my chains. You freed my soul for the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. When we sing about the blood applied, I hope it comes to mind, one, the Passover lamb that was put on the doorpost, but more than anything, the blood of Christ, which is applied to our life so we could be free, so we could be in that new covenant. Another passage in scripture that I think brings clarity to the difference of these two covenants is Jeremiah 31. Just jot it down and you can go back and read it. But Jeremiah 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So here's the new covenant, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That is only through the blood of Jesus that that happens, right? When we become a new creation, we get God's law written on our hearts. It becomes a part of us. We're no longer trying to live by law and ritual, but his law is within us and we live it freely and we live in his power. The blood of this new covenant, Jesus said, was poured out for us. That points to a violent death on the cross. So again, we give you a really tiny cup. It's so small, it barely counts as a cup. But that small cup represents the most precious blood that has ever been spilt. So when you take communion, it is your chance to again relate to Jesus. You're in a relationship with him. He's done all that you need to make you worthy of that relationship with God. He's worthy so we can be worthy of that relationship with him. So celebrate Jesus when you take communion. Relate to him, talk to him, and thank him as you take communion. So we have um, a revealed future. We have a revealed new celebration. And finally, what Jesus does is he reveals a traitor. Listen to verses 21 through 23. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So we know from hindsight and from the rest of the Bible that the traitor was Judas Iscariot. We know that because the Bible has revealed it. But the others in the room didn't know. The other disciples had no idea. They had no idea that Judas had secretly been stealing from the donations to Jesus for the whole ministry. They had no idea that earlier that day, Judas had already decided that he was going to betray Jesus. And he had gone to the religious leaders to work out a plan. That had all been done already, but no one else knew it. Judas knew it. He knew what he had decided to do. Jesus knew what Judas had decided to do. 
and Jesus let everyone in on the secret. One of them was going to betray him. Now, Jesus knew that this was the plan. Jesus could have stopped this from happening, but he was willing to do this because he knew that this was the plan. He was willing to make this sacrifice. He was willing to be betrayed by a friend and he was willing because he knew he was doing the Father's will in order to save us. So what does this account of betrayal mean for us today? Well, I think it means that being in the room does not make you a follower of Jesus. Judas was in the room, but I don't think he was a follower of Jesus. He didn't believe that Jesus was going to suffer for him. He didn't believe that Jesus was going to bring God's kingdom to fruition. He didn't believe that Christ's body and blood would be enough to forgive him. Yes, he ate the bread and he drank the wine, but all of it he did without a new heart. Judas was not a part of the new covenant. So I ask everyone here, do you realize that being in the room today is not enough? Coming to church doesn't make you right with God. Do you realize that taking communion is not gonna give you a new heart? Getting baptized, reading the Bible, it's not going to make you belong to Jesus. The only thing that will is genuine faith in what Jesus has done to make you right with God. Faith brings us into the new covenant of Jesus' blood and gives us a new heart. So I wanna invite you, if you're here in the room today and you have never trusted in Jesus, I hope you will do it today. If you've been in the room over and over and over again and you've thought, well, because I'm in the room, I've gotta be okay with God. I want you to see from Judas's example that that is not the case. You need more than being in the room. You need belief in the real Jesus revealed in the Bible as the only way to be right with God. Would you do it right now? Would you just turn from living your own way and living in your own perceptions of who God is and who Jesus is and what they want from you? Because all he wants is for you to confess your sin, confess your inability to pay the price on your own and to express your trust in Jesus and to thank him for all that he's done for you. And if you're doing that today, please tell somebody. Come up at the end of the service, tell the prayer team, tell one of the pastors, um, tell the person who you came with that I'm trusting in Jesus today. The next thing I think this teaches us is that um, we need to remember that we don't know someone else's heart. We can't judge someone's soul just by mere externals. So I hope that you will be committed to praying for one another that you'll pray for those around you, pray for those who are in your life group, pray for those who are in your family, pray and encourage them in genuine faith because we all need that. We all need that. And next, I think that this passage talks to us about being honest with one another. We talk a lot about transparency here at Calvary. Um, and I wonder what could have been different in Judas's life if he had been transparent if he had been honest with Jesus and with the other disciples, can you imagine if he had said this? Hey guys, I've got a problem. I am stealing money from the coffers. I, I love money so much that I just can't help myself. I just want to steal it. And do you know what else? I love money so much that I'm thinking about turning in Jesus so I can get the reward money. You guys need to help me. Boy, if he had been that transparent, you know, it would have looked like an 11 man pile up on Judas when he got to walk out that door. 
we need to be transparent. Communion is a great time to embrace transparency. So in just a moment, I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So it's a celebration for those who are trusting in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And even if this is the first day you've ever done it, then this is the first day that you can take communion in the right way. You'll be in, uh, the, the ushers will uh, pass out the trays. You won't have to get up today. They will pass the trays out. You'll be able to take the bread and the juice. They're stacked together in the tray. And um, as you take the bread and the juice, take some time to reflect and to remember Jesus' broken body. Take some time to remember all that he did for you on the cross. And take some time to get honest, to be transparent. Be transparent with Jesus about where you're struggling. Be transparent with the person next to you. I mean, let's face it. You're probably sitting next to a family member or a friend and the likelihood that you have wronged them in some way today is pretty high. So if you need to ask forgiveness of the person sitting next to you, ask forgiveness. If there's somebody in this room that you have a grudge against, go and be made right with them. This is the time for transparency. Then spend some time relating to Jesus. His blood symbolized in the juice that you're going to drink was poured out for your forgiveness. Thank him and renew your commitment to follow him. And then when you're done with your time of reflection, the music will be playing. When you're done, you can take the bread and the juice in your own time when you've prayed up, when you've thought, when you've reflected, when you've confessed, and then you'll be able to continue in the celebration of worship. So would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this new celebration you gave us because it, it gives us in a very tangible way, a way for us to remember, to remember all that you did for us through the cross and in your resurrection. Lord, I thank you for the body that was broken for us. I thank you for the blood that was poured out for us. And Lord, as we eat bread and as we drink juice, Lord, we just know that we're doing something that has spiritual meaning for our life if we're truly trusting, if we've truly turned to him. Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that you gave Jesus for us. And it is in his blood and in his sacrifice that we have our hope. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the disciples ate, Jesus was aware of what was going to happen, but he understood that it was necessary. He was about to take on our sin and pay atonement for what we have done and will do so we could be free. That sacrifice is why we can experience salvation. I encourage you to be mindful of that this week and be thankful for God's love. If today's message left you with questions, you can email us at questions at calvaryaz.com. We'd love to help answer those for you. Well, that's all for now. Please join us again next weekend. Bye-bye.